Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Lateral Monkey shares her story from a non-target school all the way to the front office at a bulge bracket investment bank. Find out what helped her land a rare sophomore summer internship in capital markets and why she despised it, why she stayed at the same bank for her junior summer, and what saved her time and time again. This is part two of a two-part series. Talk to me first about, so you were, sorry, I interrupted you before about talking about like the, there were no female MDs. Talk to me a little bit more about that. So like there was just, uh, did you feel like it was, you're so out of place? You, yeah. Like you're talking about gender ratio there. So I, I have a firm belief just based on my experience in finance. I have very often been the only woman in the room. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's about having more women in the room, although that's always a plus. I think it's about the way men treat you. Mm-hmm. Um, if they treat you like your opinions are valid and they're worth listening to and like you're important, uh, I think that that goes a very long way. You know, like there was no women in my group my second summer, but the way that the men treated me and the way that I interacted with them made all the difference. Um, so a big, differ- a, a big difference is this, right? Like I have certain hobbies and I think they're interesting. Um, and, you know, junior bankers on my first summer, on the team my first summer, were not willing to talk about it and like honestly looked down on it and were super condescending. Mm-hmm. My second summer, they were open to discussing it and learning about it and we would talk about it and there was like an exchange of ideas there. Mm. That is super positive and I think that is a sign of a healthy group. Very interesting. I love it. So, okay, you get yeah. the offer. Are you crying again because you're so excited? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think I put down in um, in Wall Street Oasis, there was a question like, how do you know you've made it? And for me, that was the moment because, you know, I remember wanting to move to New York City as a child and not knowing how. And then all of a sudden, this is going to be my home. You're telling me this is going to be my home after senior year? That was huge for me. Yeah. Huge. Did your parents know what investment huge. banking was at this point, now that you had done it for two summers? <laughs> uh, kind of. I think they were more just like, they saw my signing bonus, and they were like, this is good. This is okay. <laughs> this, is, this is a real job. <laughs> yeah. This okay. is a real job. This is good. This is okay. And I think like one of my, um, one of my aunts or something, like, had a friend whose son had done investment banking, but he was at Goldman. Yeah. And she was like, oh, she, you, she'll never see you, but she'll make a lot of money and it's okay. And they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Okay. Yeah. In, in terms of 
kind of how your senior year went. I assume it was like a, a blast because you kind of had that offer. Well, first tell me, how did you, did you proceed to shop the offer? Did you accept after a couple of days, no. a couple of weeks? So this is again, returning to the importance of relationships, right? But yeah. over two summers at one firm, I had built a lot of relationships mm-hmm. and the relationships I had made my first summer, they had deepened by the time I came to my second summer. And when you talk about deepening of relationships, again, no one includes what that is. I'll be totally honest with you. It's as simple as just checking in with people. Yeah. Right. And like so how older, often did you do I that? How often like, those, enough, those... older bankers have really boring lives. Yes. So like hearing from a young person and being like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm doing. Right. This is what's going on in my life. You will be infinitely more interesting than them every totally. time. Totally. Guaranteed. And, and did, uh, did you feel like, did, how did you feel like get that balance in terms of not bothering them too much? Did you have like a certain set time? Like you'd only check in once a month, once every six weeks. What was the kind of a natural, depends, did you feel like it was normal? Depends on the person. Yeah. Depends on the person. If they felt a little stodgy, like it was a once every six months thing. Yeah. Um, if I knew they had, this is, this is one that I think is a little more nuanced. Like if I knew they had just had children. Yeah. Right. The first year is hell on earth. So yes. I would normally check in. Like that was another one. You could probably hear my babies day. crying in the background. Sorry if you can hear that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, yeah. it, you know, you, you like a sleep addled person. Do you really want to be emailing them constantly? That's not great. And also don't send articles to someone that just had a child. They're not going to read them <laughs> um, unless there's something super, super, super interesting. They're not going to read them. Right. Um, so like little things like that, again, this is where EQ comes in, right? Yeah. Like little things like that. There were some people, I think it was mainly women bankers, who I knew I had a lot in common with. Mm-hmm. I would send them stuff a lot, like maybe every three months, maybe every five months, you know, maybe something yep. cool came out for women in leadership positions and I would send it to them and be like, hey, have you thought about this? Like, right. what do you think of it? Cool. Right? So stuff like that. Yeah, but you'd use it. Just be careful. Yeah, be careful not to over overdo it. Um, I, I would say this: I never did, I never ever emailed anybody more than once every three months. Got it. Never. That's good guidance. And okay. I never emailed anybody less than once every eight months. Perfect. I love it. So between three and eight months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in terms and also of make sure you have something to say, make sure you have something to say. Right. And make sure you have a viewpoint on something like. There's way too many people that I saw mm-hmm. as a young person who would approach senior people and they would start talking about something, but they had no developed viewpoint on it. Have an opinion, have something to say, have something to contribute. That's what makes you interesting. I love it. So any, any guidance on that in terms of how to develop an opinion without coming across as, as um, overconfident or arrogant? I think, I think it's just about like, respectful discourse and that's something that's so lost in american mm-hmm. universities but again that's a discussion for another time yeah um you know it, it's something as simple as if you and i are talking about i'm, I'm going to give a contemporary example if you and i are talking about politics right democrats and republicans mm-hmm. i'm not going to like run in there and say no you're wrong you're wrong on this point there's a respectful way to make a point and there's a disrespectful way so a respectful way to make your point is let's say you say something like Republican tax cuts are going to generate growth in the long term, and they are overall good for the economy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's your statement. Right. 
And I say something like, that's a really interesting point. Have you ever thought about it this way? And then I present maybe a more Keynesian argument and I say, you know, tax cuts could actually hurt the economy. Have you thought about, you know, what John Maynard Keynes said about driving up government expenditure during times of, I don't know, catastrophe and, you know, helping drive growth that way. Right. That's a good way. Yeah. Me saying you're wrong or something like that. That's a bad way. <laughs> Understood. Understood. That makes a lot of sense. So tell me a little bit. I also talked about politics a lot with bankers. Which is, sub- that's like a, I can't I believe, I can't believe you did that and navigated it. Like, so it sounds like you navigated it successfully because it's, it's a very dangerous place to play. Um, oh, it's a super, and, but it sounds super, like super based on what you just based on what you just told me, it sounds like you did it in such a way that was very um, kind of understated and and smart, yeah. um, and you didn't necessarily reveal how strong your opinions were <laughs> in certain areas. Well, it was humble. It's it's yeah. actually it's so funny because now that I'm out of uh, the firm that I was at, mm-hmm. like really after I was there for two years, I, there was this one MD that I talked to. Consistently since my first summer in banking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I talked to him all the time. And I was, I remember the last time, um, no, no, three times ago. So, like a year ago, um, when we talked, I had like such a strong opinion. It was on healthcare. I had such a strong opinion. I was like, no, you, you do not know this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he's more libertarian than I am not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we actually had a little bit of an argument about it, but it was actually really fun. And you can only do that with someone you have an established rapport with. Right, right. And respect for like, and he had talked to me about his like five year old and his nine year old. Like we had an established rapport. Right. He knew me. He knew what kind of person I was, and that's why we could go back and forth. Don't ever, ever do that. I would say even in the first year of knowing someone, don't do that. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. I wish I wish we could do that on WSO <laughs> with all the political <laughs> threats. <thirst. laughs> Yeah. But uh, maybe the, maybe maybe that's what we need to do. Like have something where you have to be on the site for a year with a certain number of bananas before you can even talk politics. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, uh, uh, respectful discourse is a really lost skill. Um, yes. And I think that's true for any topic, whether you're talking about politics, whether you're talking about I don't know religion, where you think the market will go. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Well, that's great. And so you're you're very happy. Your parents were now happy because they saw your signing bonus, which was what fifteen thousand dollars, something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then and then um, you kind of you accepted, right? So tell me about that process. Was it you kind of knew you were going to accept, and um, was there any sort yeah. of hesitation? No. Um, you know, I had the relationships. I knew that I wanted to continue to deepen those relationships. I wanted to be in a place that I was protected, frankly. Um, I really, really didn't, you know, look, I was in like a, okay, so like tier one is like, you know, the top three banks that everyone knows about and tier two is maybe a couple of other banks. And mm-hmm. I I never wanted to shop my offer for something that was more prestigious because frankly, when you get to a certain point, it's just splitting hairs at that point, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. Like, it, you know, now I'm, I'm an econ major, right? So like how much will this minor bump in prestige actually increase my happiness the answer was not a lot you know yeah the marginal benefit of a a little extra dose of prestige to your to your ego or whatever or whatever it would be like well i like let me put it this way like and i was dating someone at the time so i obviously did not think about it this way Mm -hmm. but like if i'm at a bar right let's say the brass (laughs) monkey and meatpacking district and i'm saying i am a citigroup investment banker and Mm -hmm. you know i'm top you know i'm top stuff like, 
will I really get more girls if I say that I'm a Goldman Sachs banker? Will I? The answer is no, by the way. Um, Are you sure? No, just I, kidding. <laughs> I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple friends try that out. Um, you know, and I. That's kind of how I viewed it. And so, for me, what I thought was, okay, I'm going to choose based on the strength of my relationships, and my relationships are strongest here. No, that so makes I picked there. It makes a lot of sense. Simple as that. So you had a great senior year, I assume. I did. I ended up founding a company my senior year. Awesome. So, Okay. <laughs> a lot happened there. Founded a company, falling in love, the whole nine yards. So you fell in love, you founded a company, a lot of change, a lot of fun, and then the company, I assume you stopped when you started working full-time, or what did you do? Oh, I wish. So, so instead that's of crazy. To the coverage group that so I that's loved. insane that you kept yeah, the company so, starting. Okay, so tell me what happened. Yeah. yeah so you, you, why didn't you go back to the same coverage group that you loved? Let's I didn't. Start yeah, I ended why? up not going back. Um, I The reason why is because I had founded a company and that changed everything. Hmm. And this is another thing that I will say to young people, don't ever underestimate, you know, how much your life can change in a very, very short amount of time. You know, we're at an age where little things can impact your entire perspective on things. And honestly, actually, that's not even true for young people. That's but tell me why you say that. Too. Tell I me why you uh, say that. Like, what happened to you? That that. Sorry. Like, what happened to you specifically where like something could change? Like you're like, is it just the startup changed everything? Like things took off and it did. Yeah. It did. Okay. The events that led to the startup were fairly traumatic. Um, and then we founded my good friend and I, who's a software engineer, founded a company to come up with a solution mm-hmm. to that issue. Okay. And it has impacted somebody we had both loved. And, you know, I was so absorbed in it because again I'm, a, I'm obsessive right mm-hmm. so I was obsessed I was obsessed with solving the problem and I was so absorbed in it and so invested in it that I realized that I actually really enjoyed being an entrepreneur and I really enjoyed you know being accountable to myself and building mm-hmm. this company and the process and the process was terrible by the way oh my goodness if anyone ever tells you that early stage startups are super fun that person is a sociopath <laughs> like it was <laughs> It was terrible. Like it was so much work, but I love. But honestly, it was so great. Like I just said that you're a sociopath. You say you enjoyed it, and I'm saying that I enjoyed it now. Um, you <laughs> Are know, you a sociopath? No, it, was great. <laughs> it was better. It was better than my my banking time because I felt like I had purpose, and that is really what you know what changed me. Mm. I, I figured out what it meant to work towards something and have a purpose with it, and then I and then you know I'd worked without a purpose in banking. And no, money is not purpose. Um, but I assume, you know, I assume you kind of still felt the pressure to take the job, start collecting the paycheck. You know, you didn't come from a lot of money, it sounds like. So, um, well, I didn't actually. And and it, the reason why is because like, I, so, so my family background was I was upper middle class. And so I was doing okay. You're doing okay. But I was from a very small town. Yep. So I was upper middle oh, that's class. That's right. Your, your father was a doctor, you said, right? So you were... Yes, he yeah, is. you guys were okay. So my dad is a doctor, so yep. we weren't hurting. But yep. I think for me, what did it, 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 it was never about the money. For me, the reason I went back was because of those relationships. Mm-hmm. Literally, that's why. Because all of those people had invested in me, and I felt profoundly guilty. And I also felt like those relationships would be harmed 
if I didn't go back full time. Right. Because they had invested so much time all, like mentoring yeah, you and I mean, all, all that of stuff. those recommendations, all of those introductions, all mm-hmm. of those like like can you imagine what the person who had CC'd the entire junior team of that group would have done if I hadn't gone back? Yeah. I, I went back because of the really everything, everything with my career starts with the relationships and it ends with relationships. So, I so your senior entirely so went there for it. So your senior year, how are you balancing? So you're balancing schoolwork, this new startup. Are you a co-founder or is it like your own baby? Like, are you a 50-50 No, I'm a co-founder. Like um, 50-50? I cannot write a single line of code. Okay. My co-founder was the one who could. Got so it. senior year, I graduate early. I move, um, I move to a different city to be closer to, you know, the guy that I've mentioned vaguely mm-hmm. <laughs> in yep. this conversation. Uh-huh. And I'm still working on this startup. And we end up getting into an incubator and that goes super well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I continue working through the three months that I'm two and a half months that I'm training. And I actually failed one of the series exams because I barely studied for it because I had a pitch competition to go to. Mm-hmm. That was not my finest moment. Um, but kept working, um, you know, and yeah, I ended up going to a capital markets group because I just, I wanted my weekends. That's what I wanted. Mm, and I knew that I would work really hard during the weekdays, but I could at least get my weekends in the capital markets group. So I went to the capital markets group and that turned out to not be the case. Mm, tell I me about that. Killing myself in that group. Um, it was awful. The hours were coverage level. It was terrible. And I had to take a step back. Um, I took a step back in the fall. Uh, so just a few months after I had started full time on the desk. And it was honestly like a lot of people would say, oh my God, like, you know, banking hours are terrible. Try banking and startup hours. Yeah. So what did you even, I mean, was your co-founder be like, what are you doing? Like, you can't do this? Or was he, had you guys raised funding? What was the, I mean, if I was your co-founder and you're like, I'm going to go start banking, I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, no, you can't do that. Or like, you got to sell to me or something. You know what I mean? I'd be like, you're not going to be working. So what was that conversation? That must have been tough. It was a really tough conversation. She um, she knew me really, really well, and we had a very honest conversation about the number of, number of hours I could put in. Yep. And by the way, the number of hours was roughly 10 to 15. Yep. Um, and I did that on top of thinking, and Jeez. I didn't sleep at all. Um, there was when I, I'm being very honest about that. I did not sleep. Um, so she was putting in about 40 hours a week at that point. I was putting in 10 putting in 10 to 15, but that was balanced by the fact that. I had gone full throttle for months, putting in 80 to 90 hours. I almost, I mean, I had like a 3.9 GPA in college, and I almost failed a class my last semester of college because of how much I was working on this. Got it. Actually, by the way, that professor loves me, and she told me she would write me a recommendation letter anywhere um, if, I, if that grade was an issue. That's so but, funny. That was real. Like that was what I'm talking about that I get obsessive about something. I'm being very, very honest there. So like, so she knew that you're so obsessed with this. Uh, How did you, how did you even step back? Like how did so early on in your analyst stint, you're like, this is not working. The group is, I thought this would be, I'd have my weekends. I thought I wouldn't be working 80 hours. I thought it'd be more like 65, whatever. Um, You're working 85, it it sounds like, or 80. And then. Yeah. It was a second year analyst who had that conversation with me. He had, so we had a weekly, um, this weekly assignment to do Mm -hmm. and he was the one that checked it over and he was such a nice guy. Like I'm still really good friends with him. And he took me aside and was like, I just wanted to let you know that this assignment that you just turned in, this is full of errors. Like this is terrible. And I know you're capable of better because you've been doing better. And then he was like, you look out of it. 
like you look out of it he was like have you been like doing drugs on the side like what is going on <laughs> like, what's wrong with I you like no i have like never even taken a title at all like, that is not the case at all mm-hmm. um and then i finally was honest with him and i told him i had to anyways file an oba so my md knew but he didn't know that i was like continuing to work on it yeah um but this analyst the analyst obviously had no idea and so the analyst comes up to me and is like you need to stop like this is this cannot continue yeah and it was I got a Saturday off, and this is a little personal, but I got a Saturday off, um, I remember, like, two weeks after that conversation, and I blacked out, and I woke up, and I was on the floor of my room, mm-hmm. and I had I had literally no idea what time it was, and I remember checking the time, and my first thought was my anxiety over checking my email mm-hmm. for anything, for startup stuff or investment banking stuff, and that was, like, rock bottom. Yeah. That was hundred percent rock bottom, and that was. And you blacked out because you were drinking, or because you just passed out from exhaustion and just didn't. Even... No, I passed out from exhaustion. Okay, yeah, and you just slept for like I probably was, twenty hours or something. Yeah, I was, I was, my body was done. Like yeah. I remember calling my dad because he's a doctor and being like, "What just happened?" And my dad was like, "You, qu- your body, quite literally, was like, nope, we can't function anymore, and just shut down." Yeah. So that's what happened. So, and I ended up actually, I landed up in the hospital for a day because I know a lot of the doctors in New York. And mm-hmm. one of the doctors was literally put me on an IV with saline just to like, because I was so dehydrated. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to work on Monday. But I was, I was gone. I was out of it. Um, so and that's when I took a step back. And, and tell me how the group handled it or how your mentors handled it. Is that a tough conversation? How did you, how did you even approach that? Well, I took a step back from startups. Oh, from the startups. Oh, so you stayed. Okay, so you talked to the co-founder. How did you work that out? That was brutal. Yeah. Um, That was a really hard conversation. We were such, I mean, we're still close friends, but that was rough. I mean, I had to basically tell her, I can't pursue this idea. Like, I just can't do it. Um, Health-wise, I can't. And she understood. Mm -hmm. And she said, I get it. I wish you had given me a little more, like, ramp down period. Yeah. But I get it. Um, and she actually ended up pursuing it with somebody else who I also know, mm-hmm. and they are actually doing fantastic. Great. Um, they're still doing the idea, but, so, but tell me about like, it was tough. I mean, we didn't talk for like three months, but after you that. guys, that but, was a really tough conversation, but like you had part of the company, right? So did she buy you out or how did that work? Uh, so I gave up 30%. Okay. So you still own a portion of it. You still, yeah, you still own a portion. Okay. So you still own a portion of it. Do you feel like down the road you may rejoin them? Is, is the relationship harmed to the point where you couldn't? Or do you, you don't have to tell me. If oh, no. No, no, no. It's not harmed to the point I couldn't. In fact, we're actually still really close. We grabbed dinner about a week ago. Yeah. Um, I know those are super hard conversations. Her new boyfriend. Oh, good. <laughs> Wait, are you but, still with the same no, guy? Yeah, same guy. Wow. Wow. Well, so that it was good to, to, to graduate still early. Going. It was good to graduate early for him then. Yeah, you you think you would think that like graduating early for someone and like moving with them, I was like, all right, I've sunk too much into this relationship. Like, this is not going to be a sunk cost. Um, no, that's great. So anyway, but no, I'm still very close to that co-founder. I think the reason I would not join is because my goals have changed since mm-hmm. being in that startup. Got it. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that. And so so you step back from the from the startup world. You kind of were able to re kind of re-engage in the banking world but you weren't too happy still with that group it sounds like so were was your goal to get back to coverage no not at all i what was your goal to survive 
for it's a couple not completely true. I was miserable, right? I hated it. Mm-hmm. So I met with HR and was like, hey, I'd like to go back up to coverage. And there was actually a group that was super interested in having me because I had a great reputation within the firm. Like yeah. I did a lot with recruiting. I met a lot of people. I knew a lot of people. But HR was adamant about this. Like they were like, we get so many kids that want to switch. If we let one switch, it's going to be an avalanche. This cannot happen. Yeah. And they blocked me and they were like, nope, it's not going to happen. Don't even try. Oh man, that's tough. So then what's, what was your next move? Just survive in that group for a couple of years? Nope. <laughs> My next move was to go to um, an MD that I knew really, really well and I was really close to and basically be like, this is the toll this is taking on my mental health and myself, I need to get out. And she introduced me to someone, and this is what I mean by don't underestimate how much your life can change. Mm -hmm. She introduced me to somebody incredible. This particular person, again, not identifying her Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. When President Trump won his election Mm -hmm. in November of 2016, she she was one of the groups that was extremely afraid when Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. And She looked at her life and she said she was a director in in a coverage group in investment banking. Mm -hmm. And she looked at her life and said, if I am, you know, rounded up by the state tomorrow, if something happens to me, if some white nationalist hurts me, would I have lived a life that I am happy with, that I am proud of? And the answer was no. So she upended her entire life and she basically said no to, I mean, God knows what salary, right? Like, how much do coverage directors make these days? Mm, a and lot of money. Were like, you know, HR thought she was insane. They would like, are you absolutely out of your mind to go to a back office position? Like, you are, you know, you're making so much, you're going to become a managing director. Everyone knows you're going to become a managing director. And she said, no, Got not it. So, for me. So this is somebody who had kind of left the front office, went to back office, more in like a strategy yep. type group? Yep. Got it. And so... Yep. You, you had already, you didn't know who this person was, but through one of your connections, i.e. network, you got put in yep. touch with this person. Then tell me how that yeah. conversation went. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, she told me her personal story. Yeah. She told me her story. She told me why she switched. She was like, I'm being really honest with you because woman to woman, right? Yeah. And I kind of told her like similar, you know, not the exact same story, but like similar story. Like I'm, I'm done. Like I'm not, I'm not enthralled by the industry. It's not something I'm enjoying. Yeah. I want to switch. And she said, all right, I've got, you know, three jobs that you'd be really good at. Here are the options. Cool. And there was one that really spoke to me and it was focusing on strategy and like implementation of AI processes. And that's the direction I went. Very that cool. conversation with my MD was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> the confusion yeah. on their face. Like, you're going to back off? So that that's, like you said, it's one of the probably the few times we've seen somebody in front office want to actually step back and go back office or middle office, yeah. whatever you want to call it, a strategy role. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, well, you don't have to tell me a lot about the group, but just tell me about that sacrifice. Was it a, pay, a big pay cut? Was it? Um, how was the work, was the work more interesting? Did it turn out to be still monotonous? Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So, uh, pay, I guess I can get, um, is it appropriate to have that number? Yeah, I always, I always ask. Yeah. I mean, for, for bankers, it's pretty well known. So like 85, 90 base, right. And then, yeah. Okay. um, So I'll be, 
I'll be honest. I'll be honest then. So I got promoted to um, an associate, essentially, Mm -hmm. um, with switching to back office because they had to give me a position that was equivalent to my pay. Now, on my resume, um, I say that, you know, I was the first person promoted in my banking class, which is true. I just don't list the reason why. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So, okay. um, Yeah, so I got... So I got a $10,000 bump on my base salary, actually. Mm -hmm. It's my bonus that got cut to smithereens. So I got a $25,000 first year, like standard bonus. First years don't get a performance-based bonus. We just get the set, whatever, right? Right. I got a $12,500 bonus in my strategy role. And I remember looking at my bonus and being like, did I do something wrong? Yeah. I hadn't. That's just the reality of back office. Um, Yeah. I was I was an associate compensated at the level of the vice president. I have to be honest about that. Um, so I got a slightly higher pay bump, but I think I had analysts on my team that we had hired. The analysts were getting paid, I would say, about sixty five k, sixty five to seventy five k yep. in that range. Yep. So about for the on the analyst level, about well after the bonuses factored in with the eighty five ninety on the front office plus the whatever forty to sixty right, right. first year it's. A pretty significant hair. It's about a sixty thousand dollar, seventy thousand um, dollar cut yeah. on the analyst yeah. level. You had been promoted, yeah. but what about work life? Was it better? Work life was so great. <laughs> um, I would roll into the office around nine a.m. I was leaving at five p.m. Sometimes I'd have to stay to the shocking, shocking, horrifying time of eight p.m. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I had a blast. I mean, I had such a better life at that point. I was also managing people. What I enjoyed about my strategy role was that I was basically, so I like to, I like to say that I was like a professional translator. And what that means is I essentially took what the AI teams and my engineers were telling me, and I translated that for the C-level execs that had basically bet their careers on this program. Um, Got it. That was my job. Very cool. And I had such a blast doing that. I had a great time doing that. So you were there for how long? And then tell me what's going on, what's next, and, and why'd you leave? Yeah. yeah. So I was there for roughly eight months. I enjoyed it, but honestly, I wasn't developing in the direction I wanted to. I think also, you know, going back to that young girl that was, you know, wearing a protest T-shirt when she met a director in investment banking, mm-hmm. like, that's always been more of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been the kid in the protest T-shirt who – wanted, you know, major change in government. And that's the direction I'm heading in now. And so I, you know, I realized that I was still working a job that didn't really have purpose. And I quit. I quit. Out of the blue. And I left to go to a startup. And I actually got an offer at a startup. And they were like, hey, why don't you start in like two and a half months? So I went and I backpacked for a while. Well, that offer dried up. Um, That offer ended up not materializing because they shut up. They shut down their New York City office. Okay. And so now I'm looking again and I'm looking at government jobs and I'm looking at startup jobs and I'm kind of, you know, checking out both, but I'm really, really excited for what comes next. And again, like, I think what's most valuable is honestly my relationships. I last, uh, last weekend actually. So I think it was Saturday night. I had a Goldman Sachs guy over at my place and he was like, he went through like three bottles of wine. Like that guy can drink like a horse. <laughs> uh, really nice guy. Uh, we've been good friends for a while. Mm-hmm. And 
I had him over and we just talked for a while. And then today I hit him up and was like, hey, by the way, <laughs> there's a job with someone that you know. Um, considering you drink basically half my wine stores, <laughs> um, you know, would you mind making that introduction? So, you know, I'm still doing the whole wheeling and dealing and all that. But, um, but again, optimistic. That's awesome. Well, I love your store. I think it's really interesting. And I'm excited to hear what you do next. Um, I think you may end up in, you. D- in DC or somewhere um, with a lot of influence at some point in your life. Um, so it's maybe it's um, never say never. Maybe this interview will sink any, you know, congressional incentive. No, no. Unlikely. Pull it up and they'll be like, "Oh God, that's the girl that basically gained her way into another offer in banking." Goodness sake! No, we want this person. All I know, <laughs> all I know, is that there's a lot to learn from from listening to this, and uh, I think I think the listeners will, will appreciate yeah. it. And I think yeah, just the perspective um, that you have coming. Um, you know, everything you had to deal with, especially at that first internship, yeah. I think is eye opening. So I mean, I think I think in the end the takeaways from my story is and you know, I I am not someone that came from a background with a lot of connections or anything like that. Um, I had no understanding of the industry. I think that, you know, forging relationships can take you a very long way. I think being a doing your research, I think relationships are honestly I think this is true for any relationship you have. It's 99% work. Um, you know, do the work, do the legwork, do the research. Make sure you're investing time in improving yourself. I, I'll give you a simple example. I have one of my best friends, absolute best friends. Mm-hmm. She's not very extroverted like me, mm-hmm. but she is the most amazing modeler ever. <laughs> she, could build you, she could build you an LBO when we were still in school, and yeah. she was by no means a finance major. Mm-hmm. And, you know... She used to go to bars, just random bars, and she would just go and practice talking to people. She would strike a conversation with strangers, and that's how she got out of her shell, and that's how she practiced interacting with folks. She'd go to banker bars. She'd go to, you know, jazz bars. Are you sure she wasn't She wasn't trying to pick up guys? Come on, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. But, like, she actually did end up meeting her current boyfriend in the bar. There you go. There you go. So, no, honestly, though, uh, yeah, so you're saying that she was a little more introverted. She worked on herself. Yeah. She worked on herself a lot. And, like, I think she ended up getting an investment banking offer as well, by the way, uh, Mm -hmm. her junior summer. Wow. She ended up turning it down, and now she's in equity research. But she's one of the smartest people I know. Um, And, you know, she's an introvert. She's not someone for whom, you know, relationships come easily. Mm -hmm. She comes from a low-income household, and yet she made it work. Yeah. And so I think that's a takeaway from my story as well. Like rela- like relationships, like these kinds of things happening for you, they're 99% work. You can absolutely pull it off, 100%. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Thank you for, uh, thank you for all of that. Yeah, no problem. So, and thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time.